As we uh, close out our teaching series on relationships, we're, we're going to end by talking about commitment and having commitment goals. Here's the, here's the reality that I think is true. Whether you say you are a Jesus follower that is a Christian or not, we all want um, healthy relationships. We don't want to settle for just okay relationships, do we, right? Where we're friends with people that only meet with us when it's convenient for them, right? Or married to a spouse that only, you know, tries to love us in our way, in our language, only when it's convenient for them. There's just something in our spirit, in every human spirit, that doesn't want to settle for just okay, because we all know that just okay is not okay. AT&T knows that well, and I don't know if you remember these uh, ad campaigns, these three commercials, but they highlighted the fact that none of us want to settle for just okay. Watch this. Hey, hey, how you doing? Uh, Phil, are you guys good with brakes? We're okay. Just okay? We got a saying here. The brakes don't stop it, something will. That's not a real saying. It is around here. I wrote it. First tattoo? <laughs> yeah. Relax, amigo, it's gonna look okay. Only okay? No worries, boss. I'm one of the tattoo artists in the city. You mean one of the best tattoo artists in the city, right? Something like that, yeah. Uh, aren't you supposed to draw it first? Stay in your lane, bro. You ever work for Dr. Francis? Oh yeah, he's okay. Just okay? Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. <laughs> Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it, we'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. Just okay is not okay. Yeah, who wants that doctor, right? Not, 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 not me. There's just something in our spirit that we don't want just okay relationships. And so to review, we've talked about connection goals, right? And the way we connect with other human beings is through vulnerability. Not, not just in getting to know other people, but allowing other people to have permission to get to know us. Not, not just our likes and dislikes, but who we are as a person, our hopes and dreams, and even our core fears. And we talked about conflict goals, that Jesus wants us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers, where we get ran over like a doormat in our relationships, right? And last week we talked about our communication goals, how the art of listening can really pull us into uh, the people that we love just a little bit closer, and today we're going to close out by talking about our commitment goals. Again, nobody wants to be in kind of like a just okay relationship, right? We, we want to be known. We want to be loved. When we, when we go out to dinner and we see our friend waiting for us, we like when they say, you know, I'm so glad to see you. Maybe they get up and hug us. We like people that <clears throat> are for us and have our best interests in mind. In 1 John 3.8, John says something that I think will help us out with our commitment goals and not just settling for mediocrity. In 1 John 3.18, uh, John says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And so for John, it's just not enough to say, I love you. You kind of have to like go do it, right? It, which kind of conjures up this idea, when is when is something known? When somebody remembers it, right? They're cramming for a quiz or a test, and then they forget about it, or is something known when they know about it cognitively, but they live it out relationally? Now, John, when he writes these little letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, is an old man. Uh, he's nearing the end of his life, 
And when he says, dear children, he's not writing to a kid's ministry. He's talking about the men and women, adults and children that are in his church. Uh, There is a beauty that you only get to experience when you're at a church long enough, okay? And by that I mean, you, uh, we have teenagers in this room, teenagers in the first service, and it doesn't feel like there's any beauty to belonging to a church, right? Because everyone looks at us and treats us, uh, treats us at, uh, as kind of the age that they see us. And, and, I, and I was no different when I was in high school, middle school. When I was in middle school, when I got to high school, my youth pastor, Brad, said, hey, do you want to lead a middle school small group? And I said, no, I want a girlfriend. I don't want to smell like middle schoolers. He's like, well, you get to hit him in the head with dodgeballs. I said, I'm in. And then after high school, uh, I went into college and I started doing internships and getting to know other young adults. And as I've progressed and gotten older, my, my role has shifted more to like a bigger brother. And then as you have kids and you stay in a church longer, you become more of like a father figure or a mom figure. That, if you are a mom figure or a father figure, and especially the next range of age, I was about to say, your involvement in student ministry and kids ministry is so critical. So many times people think that I'm over 55, I'm over 60, I have nothing to give to students. That couldn't be farther from the truth, right? And John is, is at that grandfather level, right? That Yoda master Jedi level. And there's a beauty when you're in a church long enough where you're known by a bunch of people long enough that when you say something, people tend to listen to you just a little more than they did when you were 15 or 16. And one of the things that as John nears the end of his life, he wants his church to be relationally healthy, committed to one another. So what does that look like? Well, he says, let's not love with words or speech. Let's not just say it, like let's actually do it, right? Kind of get a picture of John's personality with actions, but also in truth, which is kind of a kind of a different, interesting take on it, and I'll explain that more here in a minute. But if we're going to do that, we have to understand that change starts with me, all right? The other person isn't the problem. The other person isn't the issue. It's not your spouse or your kids. The change, although it might be, I don't, but the change has to start with you, right? If we're not willing to lead by example in our commitment in our relationships, uh, chances are our commitment, our relationships will not change. Now, what I want to share with you in terms of application here of 1 John 3, 8, uh, it, it's from a book. It it's, was written a long time ago, but it's still helpful. I recommend it to couples today. Uh, it's called The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. Now, he wrote the book because when he was in ministry and counseling couples, there's a common thread that came through those conversations that I don't know if you can believe this or not, but couples would be in his office fighting because the way the spouse is trying to love them isn't really the way they want to be loved. You ever been, you ever know anybody that's, yeah, no, yeah, you guys are perfect, right? Yeah. Imagine that, a spouse wanting to love their spouse and the spouse not receiving it well. What is their problem, right? Get a grip. Because I, I think if I can, if I could say that I have any authority here in this moment, is that I think we tend to parent, 
We tend to do friendships and we tend to do marriages based on our temperament and personality that Jesus gave us. Now, if that goes unchecked, if that goes underdeveloped, we tend to give those worst parts to our family members, the people that we love the most, don't we? Sure, it's happened in my family, happened in my childhood, and I know that it's happened in yours as well. So Dr. Chapman wrote this book, The Five Love Languages, to help couples understand that the way you want to be loved may not be the way the person across from you wants to be loved, and that's okay. The same is true even in our generosity series from like, it seems like forever ago, that we all give for different reasons. We all a different why behind why we give. We all have a different why behind we give and want to receive love. And so I want to sort of journey, uh, walk us through what some of these five love languages, not some of them, all of them. I would really encourage you to write these down, uh, pen to paper or uh, on your phone, and give you an opportunity to talk with your spouse this week, or maybe someone you're dating or engaged to. And I think we can make this broader, uh, even, uh, even in our friendships. Now, not all of it, but I think mostly we can broaden this a little bit, uh, because if we're going to have, if we're going to avoid not just okay relationships, there are some things that we have to learn about the person sitting, right, across from us. And the first act of love that Dr. Uh, Chapman talks about, that people receive love, is through quality time. Uh, I don't know, I, I would imagine that there are several people in here that enjoy quality time, that you might be married to somebody that is wondering how many episodes are in this show on Netflix before I just scream my head off because I can't sit on this couch any longer, right? No, anybody awake in here? All right, do we need a, do we need a heart rate monitor? Yeah, it's true, right? Uh, quality time is not my love language because <laughs> it's not efficient. That's how broken I am, right? Uh, quality time is not my love language, but it can be for you, and that's okay. People that value quality time love going on for long walks, playing a game, usually board games, or, and even having in-depth conversations. Um, man, the <laughs> if quality time is not your love language, it can be a struggle to have an in-depth conversation with your spouse, right? Sure, it, it, it's, it happens to me. It, I've seen it in relationships here. Uh, it just, it is what it is. But if we ignore the fact that our spouse needs quality time uh, and we keep making our calendars busier and busier and busier, they are not going to feel loved, even though you might think your job is important. And I'm, I'm sure your job is important. I'm sure traveling is important because it keeps you employed. But the fact of the matter is, if we avoid quality time with a spouse that needs it, that's how we have just okay relationships, where they're just kind of like they love us, but the, the, it's just kind of neutral, right? And, and we never move forward in our commitment goals to one another. Uh, one, one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite ways to receive love is the second love language, receiving gifts, right? Who doesn't love Christmas, right? We, uh, receiving gifts. Some, some people love to receive gifts. Now, my wife, uh, one of her love languages is this. Now, l- let, me, let me tell you something that I've learned from the battlefield. The, it's the thought that counts is a lie from the pit of hell, okay? Because I've, bu- I've, I've purchased a gift for my wife, and I came home, and there's that look on their face, right, where they're just like, oh, this is great, because she doesn't want to crush me. 
and I'm a, I'm a, I'll get there. I'm a words of affirmation kind of guy. And if she doesn't use the, the correct words, uh, I, I might just go cry and write another blog about it. Uh, I, I have thought about my wife and purchased a gift that was probably less than ideal and brought it home, and she's like, what, what's up with this, man? Go back and try harder. My, my, my wife loves the fact that while I'm physically away from her, I'm thinking about her. And I'm not cognitively thinking about her like she is my wife. I need to buy her something because this is what I do, right? You might laugh, but that's how a lot of us view religion. I have to go to church or God won't love me, right? It got serious real quick. And so my wife likes the fact that while I'm not physically in her presence at her job or at home, that while I'm running errands or out and about, that I'm actually thinking about her long enough to buy a gift, which is to say I'm not thinking about myself in that moment, which I'm working on, buying her a gift and bringing it home to her. It is the thought that counts. People that like to receive gifts enjoy purchasing or receiving a favorite treat, you know, like a $50 coffee from Starbucks, uh, something small purchased in the person's favorite color, or giving a gift unexpectedly for no special occasion. Just, just because I love you, right? Just, just because I love you. And relationships are more like a song than they are a math equation. Now, here's the deal. If you're married to somebody that values gifts, if you're married to someone that loves when you think about them when you're not in the same space and you don't do that, it is devastating. And what that looks like, practically speaking, is you blow off your anniversaries, right? Or um, your, 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 I say wife, I'm not trying to throw men under the bus, but your spouse texts you and says, oh, I can't wait, where are we going to dinner tonight for our anniversary, right? And you, you're, yeah, uh, I forgot about it. Uh, you forget birthdays, right? You go to Walmart at one in the morning on Christmas Eve and just extend your arm out, whatever falls in the cart, that's what you get your spouse for Christmas, right? When we, when we ignore our spouse, or let me say this, when we forget milestone moments in our marriage, uh, we forget our spouse. And when we forget our spouse, man, that, that really hurts the relationship, and it hurts the marriage, and it creates laziness. One of, one of my favorite um, uh, bands is the Ava Brothers. They have a lyric, I don't forget what song, but uh, he, uh, one of the brothers says, I've been lazy with my love lately. And over time, like the first two or three years of marriage, generally speaking, is awesome, right? Everything is amazing. But over time, as we get more comfortable with our spouse and the things that we wouldn't let slide in the first three years, now we're slowly becoming comfortable and more passive aggressive. We don't call it out. And you have a right to say, hey, honey, I haven't received a gift from you in like a year and a half, or I only receive gifts from you when Hallmark says it's a national holiday, whether it's real or not, but they suck you into buying a card. Like, I, I, I haven't received a gift from you, and, and it's okay to communicate your need to your spouse because acts of service matter to you. Another uh, uh, love language is words of affirmation. This is, this is, this is my jam uh, for reasons that I've already talked about and kind of my childhood and my upbringing, but folks that in, uh, love and need words of affirmation love to hear, now I've never, my wife's never said this because it wouldn't be true, you're an amazing cook, uh, I'm an amazing eater, uh, you're so fun to spend time with, you look awesome in that color. Um, here's the deal, 
if you're married to someone that receives love through language, whether verbal or written or text to them or, or a song, if you're not giving them words of affirmation and you're harsh, or let me say this, you're tough with them and you're not ten, uh, versus being tender, you, you can over time step into insulting them, uh, being careless with your words, and ending up shattering their hearts, right? And it could, it could look like, uh, you, you never tell me you love me. Well, I mean, I pay the bills on time, right? You got a place to live. These are all things I've heard uh, counseling people over the last 15 years, so this isn't theoretical. Some of, some of the stuff is from here. Some of it has been through my 15 years of, of ministry. You, you should just be thankful, like, you don't have to work. Why are you complaining? But I, wait, what? Wait, no, I, I'm not saying I'm not thankful. I'm just saying I haven't heard you tell me you love me in like three years. I want and need words of affirmation because that's how I receive love. The uh, fifth one that he talks about is physical touch. Now, y- yes, he does mean sexual intimacy for sure. Uh, that's not the point of where I want to go with the sermon, but it also means that if you are a physical touch person, married to a quality time person, quality time person, if you're going on a walk, you better hold their hand, right? They need the physical touch. They need the back rubs, the, the massages. They need, they need to cuddle while you're watching 80 million episodes of Friends on Netflix or whatever streaming service that Friends is on, which is a really good show, by the way. They need the physical touch. That There is conversation happening when a couple is just holding hands. There are feelings being exchanged. There are words being exchanged, right? There is sort of poetry happening right now in your marriage when you hold hands with somebody that needs physical touch. And to withdraw from them physical touch does actually hurt and hinder the relationship, probably sometimes beyond more than we can understand. Now, I don't know, I'm I'm not a counselor, I don't know if this is true for all of them, but I do know that men in particularly who need physical touch and aren't receiving it or are being too demanding, right, now we're preaching, too demanding of their wife about it, over time, they themselves in their immaturity and their sin can pull away from their spouse. That's where porn begins to happen in the marriage. That's when affairs begin to happen in the marriage because they're not communicating their need with their spouse, and you're allowed to. You're allowed to. You should be. You're, you know you're in a healthy relationship when you disappoint the other person and they're still in relationship with you. You're going to disappoint people. It's okay. But you have to communicate your needs with your spouse. You have to communicate with your boundaries with your spouse. I would rather Crystal sort of lay into me for being lazy with my love, and I know that I would be disappointed, but I also know that that's a safe relationship that while she's telling me because she loves me, it's an opportunity for me to improve. You probably have heard this phrase, relational bank account. Uh, I forget the guy that, that created this idea, but the idea behind the relationship bank account, a relational bank account, is simply this. For every withdrawal, okay, that you take out of the relational bank account in your marriage, relationships, friendships, parenting, 
you need to have already uh, deposited five moments of love. Now think about that. It's a five to one ratio. So for, for every moment <laughs> or second or day or week, whatever it is, that we completely mess up, right? We just, we, we, we got home late and we took our anger out uh, uh, from our boss or whatever onto our wife, our kids, our husband, right? For, for every moment where we, we can completely blow it, right? That's when we need those five deposits of love in the bank. And so there's this idea that the way we, according to John, show love to other people in truth is that we're constantly leaning into our spouse. We're constantly leaning into our children. We're constantly leaning into our relationships. Because here's the, here's the deal, right? Like, if you're depleted in your bank and the other person has not received love from you in the way they, they need to be loved, and you start making withdrawals time and time again, I mean, that's going to cause a riff. That's going to cause tension uh, in your marriage. That's why it's so critical that it's just not a one-and-done thing or a, well, honey, I did these three things for you in the month of September. Can I have 15 days off in October? That, like, just, that just sounds ridiculous just even saying it. But it's so true. It's so true in our relationships and even, yes, in our marriages that for every withdrawal, every time we blow it, we need to have five deposits to remind them that we are still for them even though we messed up. I tell couples in premarital counseling, uh, and if I forget, I definitely put it in the sermon during, the we- during weddings, that um, a, a promise to your spouse, right? A, pro- a, a promise, I'm forgetting the word of what it is. What do you tell your spouse, right? Vows. Yeah, vows, thank you. Wow, I got a wedding coming up next week. I need to remember that. A vow you're making to your spouse is like an appointment you're making with yourself in the future, of the kind of person you're going to be for them. Does that make sense? So on your wedding day, when you're making vows, I'm going to be this person, I'm going to be this husband, I'm going to be this wife. It's like you're setting up an indefinite appointment about the kind of man, the kind of woman you're going to be in the future. Now, cat out of the bag, nobody's perfect, right? If you are, please write the book, and I'd like to meet you because your name's Jesus. We need those positive moments of love um, imported or deposited into our, lo- into our relationship bank account because when we, when we bite it, when we blow it, uh, we, we, we need to lean in on those promises that we made. E- even, even though we, we, are, we are so sure that everything is going to be awesome on our wedding day, right? Oh, man, uh, that everything's going to be awesome on our wedding day. We need that memory bank for our spouse to look back and say, you know what? They blew it. Uh, their character is a little bit off, but, but I know who they are. I know the man. I know the woman I married. And this is just a, a tough season that they're in. And, and I'm willing to forgive them and move forward. In, in Romans 5.5, 5, Paul says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want to sort of close by talking about another thing that I, that I say during uh, weddings, is that couples have to decide where their love comes from. Um, it is easy to think that I don't really need um, church, 
a, a, a bad word in the culture today is organized religion. I don't need to organize my religion. <laughs> I, I'm fine with just God, right? I don't need organized religion, which is to say I don't need uh, community. Uh, can I not just love my spouse and just be nice? Like sort of these shared, universal, moralistic commonalities that everyone shares, whether you're religious or not. Yes, you can. Here's the problem that I've seen far too many times. So I'm not preaching theoretically. I'm, t- I'm just shooting you straight. You think on your wedding day that your love for your spouse is this deep well, right? Maybe you might even borrow language of Jesus, living water. It's, I mean, I'm just, I have so much love for you, honey. I'm never going to run out. But over time, if, if you are the definition, right? This is humanism 101 if you're going to be a freshman in college <coughs> this fall and take philosophy. Uh, the definition of humanism is that you are the end to yourself. That however you love, for in this case, in this situation, however you love your spouse is as good as it gets. So, sorry. I'm going to love you how I think you should be loved. What happens is what we think are wells over time become broken cisterns. Because we're not perfect, right? We, we, it's day one of our wedding, or moment one. We haven't had the miscarriage yet. We haven't been told that we're going to struggle with infertility, and the only way we're going to have kids is to adopt. We, we, we haven't had the son or daughter that has grown up to um, uh, be buried by their substance abuse during high school. See what I'm saying? And so here's what you have to think through. Am I the source of love for my spouse, or is there something about following Jesus that benefits my entire family if I follow him? In 1 John 4, 12, I'll read it later for communion, John also says that God's love was made complete or perfected in this person, Jesus, from Nazareth, who claimed to be God. Now, what does that mean? In the Greek, when something is perfected, I think the Greek word is telos, I don't remember, but that's what Google's for, and so you can correct me right now if you want. When something has been made complete, it has found its purpose, its meaning, and its wholeness in whatever that thing is. And so what I'm about to say is a very unpopular statement, but I'm willing to make it because Jesus is worth following. Love is not progressive if the Bible is telling the truth about human relationships. So when John says love has been made complete in us, what he is essentially saying is that if love was a cannonball, which is weird because you only use those in times of war, but if love was a cannonball shot out of heaven, right, and, and all of humanity was waiting to see where this thing would land, like what is the trajectory of, of, of love? Like, Okay, let's just all, whether you're an atheist in here or not, let's just all say that there is a God for this illustration. God, whoever he or she is or it, whatever that is, says, I'm going to create this thing called love. I'm going to shoot it out of the cannon of the heavens, and it's going to land somewhere. Now, if if John is telling the truth in 1 John, wherever that lands, right, on Jesus, on Buddha, on Joseph Smith, or any other world religion, then that means that is the perfect expression of God's love. Where does John tell tell us 
where love was made complete? At the cross. Love was made complete at the cross, which is like a very uncool, unpopular thing to say today. But I'm tired of my friends hurting themselves and their relationships and living broken lives thinking that the church is the last place that would make sense for me to go. So what John is simply saying is if love could be made complete, there's no like, wow, Jesus, or wow, God, that's a really clear picture of love. I can't wait for the next painting. And he goes, nope, that's it. That's my, that's, that's my best expression of art. Jesus on a cross, my son on a cross. And, it, and if you come to the cross and become a Christian, a Jesus follower, I, I should say, because Christian has a lot of baggage in our culture today. If you become a Jesus follower today, my Father's love for you will be made complete. There, there, there is no waiting for the next canon. It's either Jesus or we're on our own. It's either Christianity or humanism. I, I, I didn't write the Bible. I'm just telling you as I see it. And so it's very critical in our relationships, our marriages, our friendships, that we have to decide where our love comes from. Because if it comes from us, we have every right to be a jerk, right? Like we have every right to say, I know you need quality time, honey. I just don't care. But if a husband and a wife are separately and collectively following Jesus together, you still have that thought, I don't want to spend quality time with you, but guess what? It's not about me. And so, honey, if you need love in this way, I will do it for you. Do you want to know why John said in 1 John 3, 8 that we should love people not with our words, but in actions and in truth? Let me tell you about the and in truth. I got 60 seconds. The and in truth is simply this. When you love your spouse or your kids or your friends in the way that they receive love well, you are reminding them and you are telling them whether they realize it or not that their heavenly father loves them, uniquely created them, and that love that that you have for, the, uh, for them as a Jesus follower, they can have if they come to the cross. That's what that truth and truth peace means. That when you go out of your way to love and serve your spouse, your kids, all areas of your relationships, you are telling them two things, whether they know it or not, that there is a creator that is wild about you, and you will keep running for your life, looking for love until you go to the cross. And if you never go to the cross, I want to be one of the few relationships in your life where you can always look at me and say, I don't have my life together, but I can go to them. Because I can see that their love is made complete, not in their own morality, like religious people want to say, but in a person who claimed to be God and said, it is what? Finished. Not just his job, but the idea and the expression that humans can experience a love that is far beyond themselves, that is far beyond any song ever written, any poem ever penned, or any sermon ever preached, that it can come from Jesus himself. We don't want relationships that are just okay, do we? We want relationships that come from the Lord, that mold our identity, 
so that we can share that with others. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, I thank you for this series, uh, this idea that you want us to have strong relationships in our communication, in our conflict, in our listening, and even in our commitment. Look, Jesus, we're all, we all fall short, right? It's easy to sit here and listen to an idea. It's much harder to do it with the people we love and that know us well. And Jesus, I pray for anybody in this room that has never experienced your love, that they would communicate that, either to me, fill it out on the Connect card, stop by this uh, connection point, that they would say, what does it look like to step into this love? What does it look like to receive forgiveness of my sins, to make sense of my years of wondering, my years of being broken, so that I can share that love that Jesus seems to want to give to me with other people. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.